Hey guys, I'm Declan and in, with Ethical Fashion Today we're going to be looking at the new Oxfam Australia report called Made in Poverty, the true price of fashion. So it's based um, from like Australia, perspective of Australian brands. I'm going to start with a, just a little introduction of what Oxfam considered, considers itself. So it says, at Oxfam, we believe all lives are equal and no one should live in poverty. We join forces with people who share this belief to empower communities to build better lives for themselves, not only to save lives in times of crisis, but also to develop lasting solutions. <coughs> uh, so just going to give a bit, bit of background of the Australian fashion industry. The Australian fashion industry is worth almost 23.5 billion that was uh, in 2018 it says here that the Australian fashion industry is getting bigger since 2015 returns to the shareholders of the five major clothing companies in Australia have increased by 81% per year on average which is a huge increase uh, so for this report they have interviewed more than 470 workers across Bangladesh and Vietnam and also in more than 130 interviews with factory owners, managers, union leaders and focus groups to try to get a clear picture of the way the fashion industry works in Australian garment supply chain. Uh, so out of like, that's quite a big pool of 470 workers, uh, the forward just talks about one family as like an example. It's quite it's quite interesting. So I'm just going to read most of, like most of this. And given they haven't got like the real names, obviously. It says uh, so this couple, uh, like husband and wife, they have three children, and they live in a cramped single room measuring less than nine square meters. And two of the girls sleep on the must sleep on the floor because they don't have beds. Uh, the wife works in a factory in Bangladesh that supplies clothing to Australian household name department star Big W. Despite working in the industry for six years, she takes home as little as $128 Australian dollars a month, even when she works overtime. The overtime can run up to 3am at least once a week for the busy shipment times. Her average pay, rate of pay is 51 cents per hour. With this little amount of pay, the family cannot afford for any of their daughters aged 5, 12 and 14 to attend school. Uh, recently, Lady and her husband were forced to make a painful decision to ensure that the family could meet their needs. And they had to send their teenage daughter to follow the path of her mother and work in the garment factory industry. This report by Axfam reveals the harsh and heartbreaking reality that this family is not alone. Based on hundreds of interviews with workers in Bangladesh and Vietnam, Vietnam this, research, this research lays bare the fact that the widespread payment of pit, pittance wages in the garment sector is trapping workers and their families in a cycle of poverty. So then it just goes into like a lot, a lot of the research that they've done, is, it's very interesting and like worrying at the same time. <laughs> so nine, 9 out of 10 workers that were interviewed uh, in Bangladesh cannot afford food 
for themselves and their families forcing them regularly to skip meals and eat inadequately or go into debt to eat. Uh, most workers cannot afford medical treatment when they get sick or injured. 76% of workers interviewed in Bangladesh uh, supplying to major brands have no running water inside their home. And also in Bangladesh, one in three workers interviewed are separated from their children. About 80% of the, those cases is due to lack of adequate income. So Oxfam with this report is calling for companies to take real action to implement living wages in their supply chains, allowing workers to make, allowing the workers making our clothes a chance at decent living, at decent lives. This starts with a credible commitment to living wages and a time frame for implementing key milestones along the way. Another Oxfam report says that states that the cost of the average piece of clothing sold in Australia would increase by just one percent to ensure that workers in Australian garment supply chain earned a living wage, which seems like like such a like a simple solution that that I don't think you know the consumer would might even notice or mind. So it's got its description of the living wage. It says the living wage is simple is a simple concept. It is the idea that the lowest wage paid to a full-time worker needs to cover the essential basics. Enough nutritious food, decent housing, healthcare, clothing, transportation, utilities, childcare, education and other essential needs, as well as some savings for the future and unexpected events. A living wage is not a luxury, it is a minimum that all working people should be paid if they are, expe if they are expected to escape poverty. A living wage should be earned in a standard work week, no more than 48 hours by a worker and be sufficient to afford a decent standard of living for the worker and his or her family. At the moment though, 9 out of 10 felt like their income is not sufficient or, or, uh, not sufficient or partially sufficient to meet their needs. 100% of garment workers earn below the living wage compared, to, compared against the Asia Floor Wage and the Global Living Wage Coalition. Which are, who are like um, which are standards basically to measure the living wage? Even when you include overtime income, extra ta work hours income, still ninety percent of workers in Bangladesh earn below the living wage. It's also common that that's that's based on a salary. So it's also common that management will inco incorrectly calculate wages and deduct salary for not meeting production targets, so they get paid even less than what they're supposed to, that then the, the very little that they're already supposed to be getting, receiving. 91% of garment workers cannot afford food for themselves or their family. Just talking about the way that the living conditions of these people, the average, the average number of workers living in one room is three. So there's normally three people in living in one room. And the average room size is around nine, uh, 10 square meters. This obviously is based in Australia, so comparing that it compares it to the average home size in Australia, which is nearly 200 square meters. Just a big difference of living. Uh, all of the people interviewed, zero percent of the zero people, no, not one person, wanted their children to work in the garment industry. Which just shows how uh, unpleasant it is. So in the next section, it talks about the role of brands in this system, exploiting system. It says there's no doubt that big brands are propping up this system of poverty wages and exploitation in the garment industry in order to make profit. But it's not just by making money from this exploitation that demonstrates how brands are a part of the problem. 
the practice of big brands actively keeping low wages and force tough choices onto workers and factory management. Forcing the local market, the local market of the uh, factories and workers are losing, but the buyers are ultimately still gaining with profit margins and stuff. It's got a little map here showing a bit of the system, so like it's diff like different places because on average the garment goes through about five countries before it gets to market. So it says here that you've got the growing stage of the cotton and uh, the making of the the plastic, the synthetic fibres. Then the spinning stage where it get, turns into a fabric basically. And then the cutting, sewing, trimming stage. And then the making of that into a t-shirt. Uh, and then embroidering, printing and stuff like that. And then the warehouse stage. <coughs> I mean, no, I think it's like it's a different, like um, certificates tend to only spot like different stages, not the whole, not many certificates that spot the whole stage. Another way that brands put pressure on to these manufacturers is, which is quite a common practice apparently, according to this report, is that they reduce the delivery time, so they say that they want it a lot sooner, and then if they can't meet that time, then the there's fines and less they receive less money for that's another way of like the 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 brands paying even less money for this for the products another problem that they've found is that many buyers which i actually didn't know this but many buyers are not committed to building stable relationships with factories over time buyers usually don't go for long-term commitments so they'll make a commitment of maybe six months to a year and then the, the the factory won't know whether it's got like long term whether it's going to work with that brand again or not. So obviously that, that creates a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of uh, you can um, lack of responsibility. So it's got coming up with the Oxford part's got suggesting some of the as usual like solutions or responsibility to, to be taken. It says Australian brands make big money and they must act to change the way the system works. They can help lift women out of poverty while still producing affordable, good quality products. So it's got some recommendations. It says basically, and it says that these are these are the basics. Should be transparent. Should publicly disclose their fab factory list and update it regularly. Should have a fair deal with human rights abuses. Support factories to establish effective grievance mechanisms. Allow workers to organise. Adopt a adopt adopt a positive and proactive freedom and association policy, consult with unions and workers' representatives, ensuring that workers are able to have a representative say in their working conditions in all factories and are a meaningful part of all wage negotiations, em empower women workers, adopt a positive and proactive gender policy and gender sensitive targets. So I think that, that's just expecting that as like a minimum. And then it says that what they really should be working on is making a credible commitment to living wages. Publicly commit to respecting the right to a living wage and working towards the implementation of living wages in the company supply chain. And it points out that this should um, clearly indicate the commitment to stay in a sourcing country when wages increase. So not just to leave and go to another factory. So that should be in the policy, which I think is great because a lot of people's concern is that if factories can't increase the wages or have a more sustainable system because brands will just leave and go to somewhere else. Uh, actively engage, advocate and support governments. 
increasing uh, minimum wages. And keeping that, it says also they want them to conduct living wage pilots as appropriate to the supply chain and just adjust the living wage roadmap based on the lessons they've learned in Kessley. Obviously, over time, things will change. So that's what it's expecting from brands, which I think is, uh, will be uh, great for brands to jump on. It's expecting for the government, uh, Australian government, because it's based around Australian brands, this particular thing, but obviously this system is a worldwide problem, really. Once it to introduce legislation that would require large companies to report on the way they deal with human rights, and that the, the government should also invest in educating large companies about their human rights responsibilities and the risk they might be infringing on people's rights. So basically to have good human rights laws and, in, and enforce them, basically. <clears throat> so that's, bas that's basically the, most of the part. The report, it's got some, a, list of, a list of some of the leading brands and companies operating in Australia that are sourcing from these countries, including uh, like sort of Zara, H&M, like big ones, Kmart, Target, uh, Big W, it's talked about a bit in this report. I also mentioned, got quite a bit of information about a company called Cotton On, which I've never heard of. It must be, it's obviously quite big in Australia. It seems to be growing very fast. Uh, Unique, yeah, a lot of big, big brands, international brands, really. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a great report. A uh, lot of information. And sometimes you wonder like whether this is actually making a difference, but What's quite interesting with this one is there's another article on Oxfam that points out that Kmart and Target, which was on that, the list of big brands, uh, have taken big steps towards living wages on the, off the back of this. So it's congratulating them as, as two major Australian brands strengthened their commitment to a living wage by improving how they source their clothes from countries like Vietnam and Bangladesh, complete with clear milestones and timelines. That's just uh, obviously proves that it's working and that brands really are, that are listening to some of these bigger uh, reports and stuff and obviously it's making it public as well. Uh, so this is obviously great and hopefully more brands will follow along and hopefully with some of these brands that have, with these brands came out and Target, which are obviously international brands, maybe they'll, this uh, will help in other countries as well that they're trading from. Hopefully there's more reports from other countries as well to help keep pushing this ethical fashion forward. So that's another positive day for ethical fashion. Um, thanks for watching or uh, listening. This has been Ethical Fashion Today. See you tomorrow.